Soul Recovery is not just this podcast. It is a community. And each month on the first Monday, we get together on Zoom to support each other. I give a topic, then we break into small groups. It's a powerful way to be seen and witnessed and heard and supported through your own soul recovery journey. This is free to attend and open to everyone. Go to the website to register. The next one is May 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Also, in June on the 8th and 9th is an in-person soul recovery retreat in Lafayette, Colorado. This is going to be a weekend of incredible transformation, learning how to use soul recovery in your life and to leave that weekend transformed. Visit the website for more about what to expect and how to register. Enjoy the episode. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison, and this is the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. I started RecoverYourSoul.net after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism and control addiction. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery and help others to transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we must first turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on inner change. Outer positive results in our lives will follow. As a spiritual coach, I can support you on your path to make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions with me, read the blog, listen to some of my original music, subscribe and receive email updates. I think of Recover Your Soul as a community. Follow us on social media and join the private Facebook group to support each other and connect. I know that together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. Welcome to Recover Your Soul. If you're here with us for the first time, I say welcome. And if you're coming back, I have a real, real treat for you today. I had the incredible opportunity to interview Coot Blackson. He just wrote a book called The Magic of Surrender. When I read it, I just fell in love with it right away. It was incredible and exactly what we teach here on Recover Your Soul. His first book is called You Are the One, which is equally as impactful. He's an inspirational speaker and a transformational teacher, and he speaks countless organizations and all over the world. He's actually part of the Transformational Leadership Council, and it's a select number of people, a hundred actually, that are the foremost authorities in personal development in the world. And he's won many awards, and when you hear him, you'll see how he just is infectious in his incredible thoughts and the way that he talks and shares the insights of spirituality. He was so kind and just had a gentleness and a sincerity and an openness and kindness and humility in him when we talked. I was a little starstruck, to be honest, when the Zoom call opened up. We had been listening to his book while we were on road trip recently, and I had been hearing his voice so much that when he came on the screen and started talking, I, I couldn't believe that he was sitting there talking to me. And I was a little caught off guard in speaking clearly in the beginning. So I edited out the beginning part that was a little messy, and we're just going to jump right into the interview. I really am so happy that you get to join us today, and I hope you enjoy this time with Coop Blackson as much as I did. Tell us a little bit about you and how you've come to be. So a lot of people know exactly who you are, and some people have no idea who this amazing transformational teacher is. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London uh, from the age of three to 18, then from 18 to now, uh, Los Angeles pretty much, and now Miami, so the US. And so I really feel like a citizen of the world. Um, I feel like I come from everywhere and nowhere. I feel a part of everyone and everything in that sense. Uh, All cultures I really like. I love to embrace diversity and the unity of humanity. And so... Um, from a very young age, I always felt a deep calling to uh, inspire people in some way. I was a very sensitive, empathic kid, so I really feel people suffering very, 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 very deeply. And there was always a deep desire to alleviate people's suffering. There was always a deep desire to uh, put people out of their suffering in some way, but I didn't know what that would actually look like. And so from a very young age, I also one of my first memories that impacted me was this 
was seeing, I was a chubby kid lost in the crowd and I saw this crippled woman pick up the sand that this man walked on and she picks up the sand, she's crippled, he doesn't know he's walking and she stands up and this was a miracle. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of, out of wheelchairs. The same man who said she picked up was my father. And I was going to say, and, that was your dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and he would, so he would look at a woman or a person, let's say in a wheelchair, and he would say, why are you in this wheelchair? But I haven't walked in 20 years. Do you believe? Yes. If you really believe in the principles of Christ, if you really believe that, that things are, anything is possible, then why are you in this wheelchair? And boom, miracles would happen. They would stand up. And so week after week, I grew up in this environment of possibility. It didn't seem very strange to me. This is what I knew. This is right. my life. This is what I saw. And so um, it was a real blessing. But but I also, at a young age, uh, I grew up in in, 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 in in a kind of dichotomy. Uh, I grew up around a lot, of, a lot of folks that didn't have very much, yet seemed to be fulfilled and happy and at peace. But then I went to school. I had a scholarship to a school where it was very prestigious and a lot of wealthy people and people. Uh, their parents were politicians, presidents, CEOs, what have you. They had every reason to be happy, yet were miserable. And so I, it really began a, a quest, a questioning from a very young age of what is the purpose of life? Is it just to wake up, make money, make babies, go on vacation, buy a few houses, cars, and then die? Like surely there has to be more <clears throat> to this thing called life than that. So what is the purpose of life and who am I and where do I come from and where am I going and what is the meaning to this whole thing? And so that began a very intensive search, actually, uh, from, a, from a young age, seven, eight, nine, I became very curious and I started reading my first self-help books at, at, at a young age. That's when I read the Unity work, Charles Fillmore, Religious Science, you know, Ernest Holmes, Eastern Mystics, Western Mystics, Joe Goldsmith, Joseph Murphy, to the pop psychology folks, uh, Wayne Dyer, Marion Williamson, Deepak Chopra, Louis Hay, on and on. And this became my passion and my obsession in just trying to understand this thing called life. And so from age eight, uh, my father had about 300 churches, by the way, and hundreds of thousands of followers. And so from age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches from 15. I, from 14, I was ordained as a minister, given the mandate really to take over my father's operation and a lot of responsibility and, and a lot of hopes were, were put on me. And, yeah. you know, I knew that and my father was very mystical. My father was very spiritual. He, he was, you could say, a new thought teacher in, in a certain way. You know, in, in the 60s, he had enlightenment experience in India and became very new thought without knowing he was a new thought teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, very organic because he didn't start out that way. So by the time I was born, I was immersed in a sort of new thought thinking. And when it was announced to the congregation that I was going to be taking over my father's church and operation, uh, I saw my entire life carved out for me my entire life set for me and the hopes, the dreams, the expectations. But in my heart, in that moment, I knew that that was not my path. I knew that this was not right. I knew that this was not for me, but I was too afraid to speak my truth to my father. My fear was if I dared to be myself, my fear was if I dared to speak my truth to my father and dared to tell him how I really felt, my fear was that I would lose his love, that I would be outcast, that I would be alone, that I would be a, a abandoned, that, that you know, he wouldn't love me anymore. And so I went along with it, knowing that something wasn't quite aligned, but rationalizing in my mind, like, but I want to help people. I, I want to make a difference. So it's not that far off. And so became ordained, a lot of responsibility, went through four or five years of, in, about four years of intense inner questioning and conflict and soul searching and a dark night of the soul because I knew that I was split inside. And when I turned 18, uh, I looked into my future and I saw that I could take the expected path. And I think so many of us as human beings, we take the expected path for our lives and I could take the expected path for my life and do what everyone wanted me to do. And I projected age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, the list goes on. And I realized that if I became successful, by everyone else's standards, but I didn't have my soul. I didn't have my truth. I didn't have my integrity. 
what kind of success is that, mm. you know, and that you can't truly be happy and fulfilled being someone that you're not. You can't truly be happy and fulfilled living someone else's version of your life. And from a very young age, I felt called to come to America. And so I felt this, this call. I wanted to go into the self-help field and meet my mentors and teachers and do what I'm doing now. And, and, and I felt this, this, this soul pull calling me in a direction that was unknown, that was unspoken, that was, um, I had no idea where I was being guided. All I knew was I was being guided in a particular direction that I had to go there. And sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient. What your soul guides you to do doesn't always make sense. Your soul doesn't care about convenience. It cares about evolution and growth. And so uh, I wanted to come to America. And uh, when I turned 18, I mustered up the courage to speak to my father. And that's when life changed. That's when everything you could say began, started to open up, uh, had the conversation with my father. We didn't speak for two years. That was very, very difficult. Sometimes people when people think when you find your purpose, that's when uh, everything opens up. Everything is easy. I think sometimes when you find your purpose, you're then put through challenges and tests and, and difficult experiences, not because you're on the wrong path, but actually because you're on the right path and you have to go through these soul tests in order to prepare you, in order to develop you, in order to get you ready for the, shall we say, the in order to, to prepare your personality to live and be able to, uh, to deliver and fulfill the purpose and the vision that you've been given. And so... I went through a series of challenges and tests and had the conversation with my father, told him I'm not taking over. We didn't speak. I felt abandoned and like the universe just left me and kind of long story short, ended up winning a green card in the lottery, a green card lottery. And that's what gave me tremendous faith and knowing that I was on the right path. I really feel as though when we choose to surrender and follow our truth, follow our, our soul. The soul itself has an intelligence. The soul has a knowing. The soul is connected to everything that if we follow our soul, I believe that we will always end up in the exact right place. We may not always take the route that we think we're going to take, but we'll always end up in the right place. Maybe not quite in, in the timing that we thought. And so uh, followed my soul, won this green card and came to the US, two suitcases, you know, one in the country, um, $800, maybe $1,000 in my pocket. And just showed up and began, began my life, began my journey, began my quest. And so, but I also think it also uh, started for me with the courage to tell the truth to myself. I think one of the things as human beings that stops us from transforming you know, stops us from truly evolving, growing, manifesting that next level are all the ways we actually lie to ourselves, uh, all the ways we don't tell the truth to ourselves about who we are, what we want, where we're going, what we need, uh, what, what we feel inside. Maybe someone listening in your state, you're in a relationship and deep down in your heart, you know, it's not right. Deep down in your heart, you know it's no longer aligned. Maybe it was aligned, but it's no longer aligned. You've outgrown each other. It's just no longer a vibrational match. But you stay in it out of comfort, out of fear, out of guilt, out of, you know, over-responsibility, out of fear that you won't meet anyone. And, and so there's this knowing in your heart, you know. Uh, maybe someone, you're working a job that, again, is not the full true expression of your true purpose, but you simply stay in it. And I, and, and I think one of the ways that we can begin to shift and create a shift and a breakthrough in our life is the willingness to tell the truth to ourselves. And so I would just ask everyone to think about, as we kind of begin this conversation, what, what lies am I telling myself? Right. Really sit with that. What am I pretending to not know? And what is it? what are the lies that I'm telling myself costing me? Sometimes we play this game of confusion or, or like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what my purpose is. I don't know. I don't know what my purpose, purpose is. I don't know if this relationship is. I don't know what to do when deep down we do know. And so I think part of the shift is the willingness to feel the truth, tell the truth, live the truth. Uh, and when we don't, it's painful. You know, when we don't acknowledge the truth, it's painful. And I like to say that it's meant to be painful. It's meant to be painful when we're not aligned. Pain is just the, uh, the messenger, the friend, the signal showing us 
well, we're not in alignment. And so I think if we learn to not distract from the pain, avoid the pain, suppress the pain, but to really embrace the pain and receive the message of the pain, to me, this is the key. Then we can bring us course correct and bring ourselves back into alignment. So there's more I could say, but ended up in the US, age 19, two suitcases and began my journey. And uh, it's been an amazing journey since then. Well, clearly, clearly, just from that introduction of how you got here, it is so profound at you knew you knew what you wanted, but you had to do it your own way. Yeah. And and I think especially in your situation where it could have been laid out for you. Yes, that, yes. That you took that step that you took to make your own life makes it even more desirable as somebody who's listening to you and following you to really be willing to take those steps because yeah. you did it. You left behind something that was a sure thing for something that was completely unknown and unknown. all of the falling down and all the failures and, and all of the lessons that we all have to learn to get to a new space. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really love about what you talk about is something that I've been talking about for for the for years now, which is that self-responsibility and really taking your happiness and your life control purely to yourself and letting go of control of everything else, which is what I loved about the surrender book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the talk about how surrender is not a passive laying down. So can you talk about how this book came, yeah, The Magic of yeah. Surrender, um, which sure. is a simple and profound, really profound yeah. book? Uh, the book came, this was not the book that I thought I was going to write. Mm. This was not the book even I wanted to write. You know, I had an idea of some sort of sexy book that I was going to write, catchy title, catchy everything. And um I remember having an entire whiteboard on a wall with hundreds of different ideas and thoughts and concepts. Oh, this would sell. That would sell. This would be amazing. People would want this. And, you know, none of them quite fit. It's like trying to put a foot into the shoe that's not quite the right size. And I was trying to force something to be that that really wasn't. And The book didn't come together, but then when I kind of gave up and I looked at my entire whiteboard, the only word that really stuck out to me, like there was a light around it, was surrender. Mm -hmm. And I I felt the soul of the book come alive. And I knew in that moment that the book that I was supposed to write was about surrender. And I was a bit resistant, so I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written. And then once I started to surrender to the book that was seeking to written, to to be written and become a servant to that, all of these epiphanies about surrender started to pop. And I began to see that my entire life and childhood and upbringing and what my parents lived had perfectly prepared me to deliver this message to the world Mm -hmm. in a creative and simple, but also authentic way. And so I, I would say the seed of the book came about because in 2016, I was promoting my first book, You Are The One, excited on tour. I was out there and my mother got diagnosed with stomach cancer. And that was really, really difficult for me. And so end of 2016 to sort of September, October, 2017, I was flying back and forth between London and Los Los Angeles and London every month. My mother was in London. Every month, every three, four weeks, fly there, spend five days, fly back, go back, fly back. And I would just be with her and and take care of her during her chemo, during, you know, her recovery. During this time, we we would sit for eight hours while she got chemotherapy. We would sit all day during the day while I was there, just holding her hand, talking about life. And to be honest, it was very difficult, but it turned out to be perhaps the best year of my life. And... Mm -hmm to be able to spend that much time with my mother. And so I soon realized that no matter what I did, no matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I meditated, no matter what I fed her, she was going to die. She was going to die. This was part of her path. And it, I had to surrender to her journey. I had to surrender to her path. And there was nothing else I could do. And it was very humbling because I realized very clearly I was not in control. And so... I remember six months into the process, the doctor said that there's nothing else we can do for you. Maybe it was seven months into it, but the doctor said, nothing else we can do for you. So 
basically you're going to die and get your affairs in order. They say it in a nice way. And I remember feeling so emotional that day and I looked my mother in the eyes. This was in the car as we left the hospital. And the car was parked. I looked her in the eyes and I said, are you afraid? She looked at me and she said, no. But but so sincerely, mm-hmm. you know, like no fake, just no, I'm not afraid because I know that I'm not just this body. This body is a temporary vehicle that my soul is using. And once the body dies, I'll still, what I am will still live on. And she had such peace in that knowing of who she was. And then I looked at my mother realizing like, this was it. It could be days, weeks, months. This is it. And I had tears of just grieving, you know, streaming down my face. And I looked at her with such love and could be the last moment I see her, the last date. And I said to her, is there anything I, I can do for you to make your last days easier? It's a tough conversation. What can I do? How can I, how can I, how can I make your last days easier? And she looked at me and this is where I think the seed of the book was planted, but I didn't even know. She looked at me and she said, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. I said, okay. She goes, all I want for my life is what God wants for my life. Mm. That, was, that was it. And I realized in that moment that the reason she was in such peace and she was so free throughout this entire year, it's one thing to talk philosophy and new thought ideas when everything is going well and you're manifesting. But when shit hits the fan and you're face-to-face in reality with your mortality, it's another thing. And she looked at me and and I realized that the key to her peace was her surrender. And I looked at her life and reflected on her life. And I realized that she had been living surrender her entire life. Mm. She'd been living surrender, even in how she met my father, an African man. She couldn't even speak the same language as my father. And here she was, agreed to marry my father, never having met him, not speaking the same language, never having had a conversation, never even seen, seen a picture of him, agreed to get married because she felt the guidance. So this was surrender. She'd been living surrender. She'd been demonstrating surrender to me my entire life. And once she passed away and I had the whiteboard and I started to reflect and I saw surrender, all of these things came together. And I began to think of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Bob Marley, Malaya Yousafzai, Greta Thunberg, the climate change, all these amazing people, they all at some point, they may not have been the richest, they may not have been the strongest, they may not have been the most handsome, they may not have been the most whatever, but they all had one thing in common. That one thing was they all decided to surrender themselves to something to life, to a bigger vision, to their soul. They all got to the point where they decided to surrender themselves. And I saw that this was the password to freedom, that surrender was the key to great, true greatness. And so, yes, in our culture today, there is this misconception that if you surrender, it's weak. If you surrender, it's passive. If you surrender, uh, you're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be a doormat. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, your visions. That if you surrender, it's like you're going to get left behind. I'm actually inviting people into a whole new paradigm and possibility saying, look, if you surrender, what if you didn't get less? What if you actually got more, more love, more joy, more prosperity, more than you could even plan with your ego, with your identity, with your conscious mind? What if you got more? Because I think when we surrender, we take all the conditions and limits off of life and we open ourselves to the infinite intelligence, to the to this innate intelligence of life, the infinite potential of life to manifest through us. And what life can do through us is more than anything that we can do on our own. Even Jesus said the things that even Jesus said, it's not I, 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 individual I that does the work. It's the father. It's life. It's the universe. It's consciousness that does the work through me. And to me, this is the possibility of surrender. So to be clear. I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do as human beings, but we just have a misunderstanding. So to surrender is to let go of control. 
to let go of trying to control everything, most of which we're not in control of. If last year showed us anything, it showed us that we're not really in as much control as we think. And so it's to let go of this illusion of control, this addiction of control. The ego wants to control because the ego, our sense of identity, our sense of who we think we are, has a need to reinforce its sense of false existence to by controlling, by being the doer constantly. I'm the doer, I'm the doer, I'm the doer. And so surrender is a release of that. And so it's a letting go of control. The idea of control, the illusion of control, is to let go of, uh, of this idea of trying to force and manipulate life into our limited idea of how we think life should be. And it's the willingness to let go of the idea, the idea, the projection of who we think we should be and the projection of the life that we think we should be living based on who knows what, based on society, parents, grandparents, conditioning, to let go so that we can actually open to the life that is seeking to express through us. To me, this is surrender. And so it Surrender really requires a shift in paradigm. It's a different question. The old paradigm way of manifesting and living life is asking the question, what do I want? Hey, you have to know what you want. What do you want? Set your intention, but we don't ask, who is the I that is wanting? Right. When I, when the new To me, this is an ego-based model, uh, a paradigm of creating life. Look, we might, you might get everything that you thought you wanted. And some of us, we have, only to realize, is this it? Or only to realize that what I thought I wanted was not really what I really wanted. It was just what I thought I wanted based on who I thought I was. And many times our goals are projections of unmet uh, needs from childhood. You know, we weren't loved, we weren't valued, but if I can just get that car and be famous and have that body and have that thing, then I'm going to be enough and nothing we achieve outside will fulfill what we're really longing for inside. And so the old paradigm is asking the question, what do I want? And yes, you can manifest a good life this way, but a limited life this right. way, because you are still operating inside of the limitations of the identity, the mind, your ego structure. Real surrender is asking a different question. Real surrender is to ask the question, what is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is the deepest impulse of life that is seeking to express and allowing ourselves to open ourselves to that deeper vision, that deeper intelligence, that deeper innate knowing movement of life to open ourselves to that and then align ourselves, align our actions, align our intentions, align our mind, our body, our resources, our money, our strategy, align it with what's truly authentically seeking to happen. Then we live in sync with life. Then we're truly in the flow. Then that's when the magic happens. And many times that the magic is beyond what we, we'll often hear ourselves saying, uh, I, I couldn't see that come. I, I couldn't even plan that. I could, we couldn't have even planned that because then we're no longer uh, constrained, limited by the identity, the identity which is simply in time and space and our goals, which is based on the limited ego identity, which is, which is locked inside of past experiences. When we step, when we surrender, we step outside of that, then we're open. We're truly open. That's when miracles can happen. Yeah. So that's the invitation for surrender. I, I love that you say that because I really feel like everything that I've listened to or heard from you is everything that I've been studying and working on and found in my own life, which is why I've just found it to be so profound. And I was raised Buddhist, so I had an unusual kind of upbringing as well. Wow. Wow. And and I and my mom and I talk a lot about the idea that life is suffering mm. and that when you think about it, the suffering is from the grasping. The suffering is from the control. The suffering is the holding on to a life like you're describing. Yes, that we think yes. we should, that we think we need to, that we think is what, what our parents dictated for us or society dictates for us. And what I love about what you're offering 
so clearly and profoundly and with such zeal is that invitation to move beyond that. And that I, I know that for me, when I've truly surrendered, Mm. I'm even surrendering to the idea of reaching out to you for, you know, for an interview, which if I was in my limited thinking, I would have thought that's crazy. You know, like why would Coot Blackson want to interview Uh, for, for this little podcast. But when you responded back, I just thought, you know, thank you because I could have been in my lack. I could have been in the limitation. Of course. And, and just surrendering to the idea of knowing it doesn't hurt to reach out. Let's be open. Know? Be open. Let's, let's be open, you know? Yeah. Let's be open. Yeah. So how do you, for people who are new to these concepts, that the idea of letting go of control is literally the most terrifying idea that anyone mm-hmm. ever said to them to, to give up your control. What are some steps? What are some tools, some techniques that, that you have used or used with your clients that are baby steps to start to move in that direction? Yeah. Look, what I do want to say is, is every single human being is in a process of surrender. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just so everyone is clear. Oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's so, but the fact is we're all in a process of surrender just by being alive. Life is a process of surrender, whether you consciously call it that or not, we're being surrendered. We get older, we get older, the body changes, hair falls out, body, you know, falls apart. We do the best we can with it, but at some point, and so it's not about if it's about how we participate in the process that is happening. And, and so if we resist, then it becomes suffering. And so surrender is the nature. Letting go, surrender is the nature of life. It's actually harder to hold on than to let go and surrender. More we, painful. We, we've More just painful. been con- conditioned to think right. it, it's, it's, it's harder to surrender, but it's harder to, 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 to hold on. It's easier to surrender because here's the thing in life, if this, this is a pen, right? For those mm-hmm. that can't see, they're listening on audio. I'm holding tightly to a pen. You can hold tightly to any object, but if I'm holding tightly to the pen, for whatever the reason, fear, childhood, trauma, conditioning, you know, uh, survival mechanisms, I'm holding tightly to this pen. I'm holding tightly to this pen. I'm holding tightly to this pen, holding tightly to this pen. I'm age 20 holding tightly to this pen. Eventually I start thinking that this grip that I have on life is the way it is. And, and, and this becomes a survival mechanism. And the way it is, we become used to it. But the truth is, let it go is actually the easiest thing. It's the, but, but we've become so conditioned in the other perspective, you know? And so I do want to just step back before I give some simple steps and give people a little framework so maybe they can understand themselves. When we're born as children, we're free. You look into a child's eyes, a child is in touch with their essence. They talk about letting go. They'll cry on a dime. They'll poop their pants. Let it go. They don't care. They're not thinking, what do you think of me? Am I fat? They're in just that state of surrender and letting go. You're going to feed me. Life's going to happen. Everything's, we're in that flow. So as children, we're born as this in touch with our consciousness, our essential nature, but we're born into a preset preconditioned framework based on generational patterns and karmic patterns. So we're born into this framework of family and conditioning. And then we meet our parents and then our parents, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their life, their traumas, their hurt. Maybe there was pain. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was mental health issues, alcoholism. You know, maybe one was crazy. Maybe they maybe they were great, but they just weren't emotionally uh, intelligent and able to meet our needs, whatever the range of dysfunctional trauma is. And so as children, two things happen that, that, that begins to condition us into a pattern of control just for awareness. The first thing is, as a survival mechanism, we learn to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. Mm -hmm. We start to suppress, suppress, suppress the feelings, our feelings, our emotions as a way to cope 
as a way to cope because it's too overwhelming. So we shut the feelings down, control our feelings, control. We start to lie to ourselves about what we feel. I'm fine. I'm great. That doesn't matter. I don't care. And all those feelings start getting suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and suppressed that we have to hold so tightly and control and manage those feelings because it's too painful to feel them. And unconsciously or unconsciously, those layers of feelings build up, build up, build up. We're holding all of that inside of us you know, as we grow older, age 10, age 20, age 30, and it just builds. And so now we're going through our whole life, consciously or unconsciously, most of us, suppressing and trying to to manage as a survival mechanism the feelings that we've learned to suppress away from childhood. That's kind of number one. So it can be scary to let go of control because, oh, oh shit, if I let go, then all these feelings are going to come up to the surface. And so this is why we, many of us, we get addicted because... We're trying to get a certain feeling or avoid certain feelings. Like if I drink, if I can do this drug, if I can do this thing, then I don't have to feel some of those feelings that kind of creep up to the surface when I start letting go. Okay. So the other thing is we also start to develop a role, persona, identity, mask, way of being, a a Mm. character that we think is who we are in order to get love, validation, and approval. Maybe we're young and we're free and dad says or mom says or someone says, hey, girls shouldn't should be seen and not should shouldn't be seen and not heard. And and boys don't cry. And so we shut down. We start becoming who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, approval. And we start to contort ourselves control. We start to contort ourselves into a certain shape of who do I need to be to get love, validation, approval and now avoid pain become who we need to, we think we need to be. We become this version or character of ourselves that we become conditioned into thinking that's who we are. Right. We really believe that's who we are. We go through life that way. We do relationships that way. We even to a degree become successful that way. But the version of ourselves that we've become is a, is, is a set of conditioned patterns that is a survival strategy that we've learned to hold tightly onto as an identity. And so the more we are conditioned, living inside of that conditioning and control pattern, the the less choice, the less free we are to be who we are, to live our life, to to truly create our life. And it can be so scary to to feel. It can be so scary to, 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 to let go because the sense of, well, Will I survive these emotions and feelings? Uh, it can be so scary to let go and surrender and, and, and be who we are because will I be loved anymore? And who will I be? Who will I be if I'm not the person that I think I am? Who, who, who am I then? And so that sort of ego uh, identity crisis gets triggered. And so I think first, when we understand that, why we've all become the way we've become. For me as a child, I I became the perfect son, the perfect boy, the preacher's kid, the responsible one, you know, always have my shit together as a kid. And we disconnect from so many parts of ourselves. Maybe some of this in the end, you became the, the, the emotional one, you became the crazy one, you became the funny one, you became the caretaker, you became the responsible right. one. You were, the, the list goes on. And so I think when we understand why we developed into the sort of controlling pattern beings that we have become, then I think the first step is we can understand it and relate to ourselves with with some compassion. Mm -hmm. With that compassion and understanding and space, then we don't have to force ourselves into surrender now. We don't have to push ourselves, force ourselves, but hold ourselves, have a relationship with ourselves to hold ourselves with some gentleness and compassion and understanding. And softness, because I think that the issue is not the issue. It's really how we relate to ourselves is more the issue. And so when we can relate to ourselves and our fears of letting go with with tenderness, then we feel safer to actually let go and relax when we can just be with ourselves, even as we are. And even, even sometimes accepting, I can't let go right now. Even sometimes accepting, I'm afraid to let go right now. And so the more we can meet ourselves with that compassion, number one, is uh, I think is 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 a really important start. Yeah. You know? It's a really important beginning. And and uh, the other thing I would say in terms of letting go, in terms of trusting, I always encourage people to, 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 to and, and ask them to look at 
to look at life, to look at nature, to look at themselves. How do I trust? How do I let go? How do I, how, how can I trust life? If you really sit with, how can you not trust life? Look at life every day. The sunshine. I don't know about you, but has there ever been a day when you woke up in your entire life, unless you're maybe in like Iceland, right? But has there ever been a day when 11 a.m., 12 p.m., midday, it was pitch black, the sun wasn't out, the sun just forgot to shine? It's like, to me, every day to a degree, life is giving us proof that we can trust and let go. The sun shines, the clouds come out every day, the rhythm and the cycles of life, life. So spend time in nature, feel nature, observe nature, be reminded about nature, that you and I are a part of nature. We're a part of the harmony of life, but we've, in our certain egoic separation, we kind of forgot that we're a part of life. The ego, we think we're separate from this total flow of life. So that's one, spend time in nature and be reminded about this interconnection with life and nature. Really sit with your body, tune into your breath, Mm -hmm. tune into your body. Sounds simple, but if you really feel like, whoa, we've been on this interview podcast. We're not sitting here going, breathe, 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 breathe. breathe. I can't let go, breathe. It's, It's just happen. There's an intelligence that is functioning you, functioning me. To me, the same intelligence is the very intelligence that is functioning all of existence. If you cut your finger, you don't even have to be a good person. You can be an evil person. You can be a a drug dealer, a, a murderer. If you cut your finger, there's an innate intelligence inside of your body that no, it knows how to heal right. you in spite of you. But we've somehow disconnected from this uh, innate intelligence inside of us, you know? But when we can remember, wait a second, you eat a banana, you eat a piece of toast, how is it that your hand doesn't turn into a banana and toast? There's an intelligence inside. There are trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of processes happening inside of us right now without our effort, without our doing. What is doing that? Right. What is functioning that? What is the doer of that? What is functioning the processes in your digestion and your liver and your heart? There's something, consciousness, intelligence, energy, something It's moving. And so when we can, I think, take time to, to, to be still and tune into the reality of what's in here, what, is, what it is that we are, and really ask ourselves, who am I really? What am I really? What is this really? And get into relationship with what we are, this relationship with this energy. It starts to shift something, you know? Every breath is life-loving us. Every breath is, 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 is a kind of affirmation and proof that we, we can't trust. Life has a intelligence. And so sit with your body, sit with your breath. Meditate on it, sit with it. And I think that also helps. That really, that really can help, you know. And, and I'd also invite people to look at, if you really look at, oh, how do I let go? I'm afraid to let go because things won't work out. Right. I'm afraid to let go because things won't go according to plan. If you look at life, if you look at some of the things that you really wanted to have happen, a relationship, Let's back up for a second. If everyone thinks of a relationship that they really are like, I really want that. I met my soulmate and I really want this person to be the one. And it didn't work out. Maybe you've had a relationship like that in the past, right? And you couldn't imagine this person not being the person and it didn't work out. In the moment, you were devastated. In the moment, you were heartbroken. In the moment, you were screaming at God and felt abandoned and felt depressed and what have you. But maybe now, 10 years later, five years later, 20 years later, you look back and you remember that moment and you think, Thank God that didn't work out. And so sometimes when we lose trust and faith and we're afraid to let go in a particular moment because things don't go according to plan, we're not able to see the entire picture. We're not able to see from the perspective of the ego what can seem like the worst thing from the perspective of the soul is the best thing. And from the perspective of the ego, we can't see the whole picture. We can only see through a very limited prism of our conditioning what we think an event or an experience is or means. And so based on that, 
we lose trust. And so I tell people, sometimes things not going according to plan or working out, don't lose trust. Sometimes it's grace. Sometimes it's the biggest blessing that you can't see right now. And so rather than just making a meaning about it, oh, it's not working out. This is bad. This is terrible. I'm cursed. Life doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. Step back. Remember what I'm saying and cultivate curiosity. Mm. To me, curiosity is a key quality in surrender. Get curious. Like rather than saying, this is terrible. Step back, breathe, tune in. Life, if we look at it, it has a way of working things out. Maybe not always the way we think, but it has a way of we're still here. You're here. We've been through some stuff. Somehow we're here. And it has a way of working things out. And if we, if we remember that, then we can take a step back and get curious and ask ourselves the question, what could this mean? What, what else could this mean? What, what, what more amazing thing than I currently had imagined with my mind might be seeking to happen right now. Because I believe that the universe is always working for our highest good and better good, even though we can't see it right now. And so I think those are some thoughts that might begin to help us, you know, in terms of just trusting simple thoughts. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things that I've loved about one of the ministers at our church um, is he's used his name, Scott Shell, and he's used the word curious for 20 years. Uh, so when you, you say that, it's one of my it's one of my favorite words because I think that you know if you haven't gone through something, which everybody has, you know, every yes. if, I think if I hadn't gone through alcoholism and difficult years of marriage and raising kids, I I couldn't even begin to be who I am today. And go. one of the things that I loved about um, your books are that real inviting to honor yourself through your whole process and to see how each one of those chapters in your own life is your evolution. And one of the things that was really profound to me, you you kind of touched on it about parents was the really letting go of your parents. It's in your first book. Mm -hmm. And so many of the people that I do work with and that I have connections with, I think even in their older years, they're still bound so much to the past and they're still bound so much to their parents. And I loved how you just said about how they do the best that they can with what they have at the time. And that when I'm working with people, I really try to help them be able to see who that other person is at that time. And you walked through that in your first book. We get so caught up in the past and holding on so intently to the past when the past has nothing to do with today, right? It has nothing to do with how we can wake up this morning. The sun didn't forget to rise. Our breath continued to breathe. We continue to have this journey. And the more that we can surrender and let go of the holdings of our past and specifically our parents that we have, the more freedom there is to evolve into our greatest true self. Yes, indeed. So how about thinking a little bit about what is it that's really firing you up right now? As you are doing, I see from social media, you still travel a ton and are different places all the time. What continues to really enliven you and give you your sense of purpose? You And you could talk a little about sense of purpose in that as well. Yeah. Because you have a really me. cool take on it. Look, for me, what lights me up is inspiring people. And I mean, there's so much more I could say about things I'm up to. But essentially what lights me up is inspiring people and helping people remember who they really are. Mm-hmm. This is something I, to be honest, it is not simply a business for me. It's a calling. It's a, it's a mission. And, and for example, when I was a kid in London, we grew up in a very poor part of London called Peckham and South London, which was not so safe when I was in my teens. And, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So we lived behind my father's church, literally connected in a little little apartment connected to my father's church. And my dreams were so big. I wanted to inspire the world, inspire people. Uh, But my reality was so small. 
and I felt so limited. And so I would sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night with the lights off, no one around. And I would give seminars to the empty mm -hmm. chairs, mm -hmm. imagining thousands of people in a room, inspiring them. And it didn't matter if no, no one was there. In my mind, this was why I was here. This is part of why I was here. And so the joy of that, even when no one was there, was, was, was real for me. For me, that was my purpose. And so whether someone's around, whether not, they're not around, this or that, it doesn't really matter for me. The, the opportunity to, to speak, to inspire, to, to live that in some way is, is really what lights me up. You know, it's what turns me on. And so if anyone is seeking their purpose, there's a couple of things I would say. I want to start a bit from the esoteric and kind of become more practical. First thing I would say is stop seeking your purpose. Now, what do you mean? But I'm going to share, you some, share with you some keys that will help you maybe find your purpose. But I'm going to say stop seeking your purpose, stop trying to find your purpose. On, one, on a spiritual level, I believe that the purpose of your life is right now. The purpose of life is this moment. The purpose of life is growth and evolution. Right. Ever, we incarnate as souls into this human experience because there's certain lessons that our souls are here to grow and learn and evolve through in this human incarnation. And so all of life and all experience and all relationships are really the curriculum, the school, the university for our soul's evolution, everything. And so the real purpose of life is the degree to, is to learn the lessons inherent in every situation, to grow and evolve so that we learn the lessons, we grow, and we become more of the, more of the, more of the authentic version right. of what we truly are, and we realize our true nature. To me, this is the purpose of life, ultimately, and the, the entire purpose of every experience is not just for the sake of the experience, but it's for the learning and the growth. And so... I believe that no matter what's happening on the surface, whether you work as a janitor, whether you're a billionaire, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a mother, whether you're a podcast, regardless of what you do, what you do is not your purpose. Regardless of that, so long as you are learning the lessons for why you attracted every situation and you're growing and evolving your consciousness and your soul, to me, you're living your purpose through whatever the experience is, because the experiences are simply the vehicle for you to evolve. Right. And, and the real purpose is evolution. And so if you are evolving, you're on purpose, you're succeeding. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing I would say in terms of purpose on a personal level, stop seeking your purpose. Sometimes we want, we, we seek and seek and seek and seek and seek our purpose and the ego wants to seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and not find. And the seeking of our purpose uh, in the human level uh, takes us further away from just living the purpose that we have within us right now. You see, purpose is evolutionary. So as our consciousness shifts and evolves, our purpose will shift and evolve. This is just natural. It's natural that what your purpose is today may not be the expression of your purpose in 20 years at age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60. It's going to change and evolve. The expression will change and evolve. That's natural. And so I think when we're constantly seeking our purpose, we're busy not living it. We're busy just seeking it. And that can become another sneaky way to not just be present now and live right. what's there to live now. So what I would tell people is move in the direction of what light, if you don't know, but I don't know, it's fine. You don't need to know what your purpose is specifically to start living it. But it's important that you start living it. And so go in the direction that you love. Go in the, for me, I love speaking. I was doing it for free. I do it for free. And so that turns me on. That's what I love. That's where I feel most alive. What do you love the most? What do you feel most alive? What turns you on the most? What would you do for free? What lights you? What lights your soul on fire? Go in that direction as a beginning. When you take a step and you go in that direction, life will meet you. Right. Life then shows. Life then reveals to you as you take one step. Life then reveals to you what's next. You take another step. 
Life then reveals to you what's next. You take another step, life then reveals to you what's next. But we're constantly trying to figure out our entire purpose from over here, but we haven't taken, gone on the journey to become who we need to become each step of the way to even have the vision or the revelation of what the ultimate purpose is for us in this lifetime. And so each step evolves you, prepares you, develops you so that you can become more, you evolve your consciousness and become more ready. As you become more ready, life gives you more to live and express. And so we have to start now. What I would tell people is, number one, go in the direction of what you love, follow what you love, follow what turns you on, makes you most alive. However, now to get a bit more practical, number two, you have to also then look at what specific skills you have. This is really important because you might say, well, look, I love Formula One. I'm I'm, I'm a Formula One fanatic. I love it. But I'm not going to be Lewis Hamilton. I'm not going to be Schumacher. I'm not going to be a Formula One uh, driver in this lifetime. It's not my purpose. To be honest, it's not my path in this lifetime. You know, it it would be kind of going against something that feels natural, right? And so... uh, You have to look at what specific skills you have simply by looking at your entire life. Everything you've gone through, every pain, every challenge, every heartbreak, every difficulty, every divorce, everything you've been through, I believe, is the the way that the universe has been using to prepare us, to cook us, to marinate us, to prepare us to be the vehicles, to be the persons that's capable of fulfilling the purpose. So we've been through, we've been through what we've been through for a reason, even if it didn't make sense in that particular moment. And so look at what specific tangible skills you have. Likely you're not going to be a basketball player if you're three foot one. You know, what skills do you have? Maybe it's the skill of accounting. Maybe it's the skill of mathematics. Maybe it's the skill of, you know, drawing. Maybe it's the skill of managing teams or leadership skills. Number two, number three, look at, shall we say, what problems you are uniquely able to solve. This is where we get more practical. Mm-hmm. To me, making money, a lot of people say, but I'm following my purpose. But, but I'm making no money. What's wrong? Here's the key. Making money is a function of adding value. You add value when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. This mm-hmm. is key. You add value. You might think, well, I'm adding value. Not necessarily. You're having fun. It's great but you add value in the world and the marketplace when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge, money becomes a exchange, a delivery mechanism, an exchange for the service of solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the unique gift that I have and my ability to solve a pain, problem, or challenge? Elon Musk, in a certain way, is solving the pain, problem, or challenges of, a, 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 of the world in a certain way. I mean, love him or hate him, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, so solving the pain problem challenge that a specific group of people, a lot of people have. And so to me, this is the key. So I tell people, don't focus on just the money, focus on adding value by solving a pain problem or challenge. Then money will follow. Then you'll be able to take your passion, your love, your purpose, your skill, and combine it with making money to create a sustainable living at the same time. Value is key. Lastly, if you're not sure, you can ask yourself, what group of people do you love? What group of people do you feel a emotional, spiritual, karmic, energetic connection to? You might say, I love the blind. I love the teenagers. I love the the, the single mothers. I feel a connection to the elderly. I feel a connection to... I believe we have this connection on a soul level because we have a karmic connection and perhaps a soul agreement with this group of people that may also show you and point you in the direction of where your purpose lies. Those are some thoughts from a holistic standpoint. I love that. Those are great. I hadn't thought of the the three things to look at to bring something value before because I think that it's so easy to get caught up in the manifestation of success on the outward level of success, meaning that you have a million dollars in the bank, or you have a million followers, or you have this many downloads of videos or, and, and the, the take that you have on purpose to me was really a shift in me that helped me 
because I feel like I'm being driven to my purpose of whatever this ministerial inspirational role that I'm that I'm moving towards. But when you really talk about it from coming from the perspective of being in your life every day and having that purpose be the fulfillment of that value of your life, that wholeness that you feel, if you feel like you're moving in the right direction versus I think what too many of us get caught in of, we have to have this recognition from society of greatness, of bigness, of being the famous, you have to be Gandhi or you have to be Elon Musk or, you know, whoever, what I really felt in what you offered was that the wholesome everyday person. Yeah. The wholesome yep. everyday person who who might be somebody who interacts with people. And when they interact with people, those connections bring joy yes. to people. And that is it, purpose. It's key. It, it, it's, it's, it's what you're saying is everything. Our purpose, it doesn't mean it won't be, but our purpose doesn't always have to be this big, grandiose thing to save the planet and be Oprah and what have you. Here's the thing. I've seen many people who have this big purpose, big thing, but it's not quite manifesting. But the challenge is they have this big thing that they want to do, but they're not helping the neighbor in them who's sick, the neighbor next to them who's sick. And so I think one place that people can start is simply by responding. Like, I want to save the world. Yeah, but start with the person that's in front of you. You can't save the world and the two million people if you can't help the one person that's in front of you. So start by responding to the need in the moment. I believe that when we respond to the need in the moment, then we're giving more responsibility. Then we're given more responsibility. Then we're giving more. It's like, well, I want to bench press 400 pounds, but I haven't lifted 40. Even if 400 pounds came to us, we wouldn't be mentally, emotionally ready to lift the 400 if we haven't lifted 40. So start where you are, exactly as you are, by responding to the need in the moment. And my God, if you look around your community, your family, your life, there's a lot lot of need that we can respond to. And just begin there and know, here's the thing, know that no action is too small. Everything is interconnected in the universe. So that one action that you respond to affects that one person. And that one person then affects another, then affects another, and affects another, affects another, and it just ripples out. I tell a story in my book of my physical ed teacher, uh, Mr. Johnson, who was one guy, one teacher, you know, a little crazy growing up, but had such a profound impact on me in terms of discipline and commitment and commitment to greatness and integrity and showing up for myself. I mean, I tell stories in the book, I won't go into it now, but this one guy who just showed up and did a simple job as a physical ed teacher, he didn't know the impact he was having on me. And then as a result, the impact that I've had on millions of people through my work and my books and my, you know, videos, et cetera, et cetera, podcast, he had no idea. And so by him living his purpose, he impacted one that affected many and except, and, and the ripples go on. And so if you don't do your part because, well, I don't have the money or I'm waiting or, and I don't do my part and nobody does their part and everyone's waiting for someone else or something else to happen to do their part, nothing gets done. How does the world shift? And so I think we all have to just start where we are by living what we can, where we are now. And that's how greatness is developed. And that's how, look at Oprah. She didn't start as Oprah. Right. She just said, I'm going to go. I love communication. So I'm going to go read the news. It's not a big deal. I'm going to start reading the news. When she read the news, (laughs) She had too much compassion, so she would cry reading the news. They said, this is not going to work too well. So they fired her, gave her a demotion to a little, a little uh, cable channel and a TV show, uh, a, a talk show on a, on a small cable channel, a local station. The talk show blew up. Now she was able to be her compassionate, loving human self. Ratings went through the roof, syndication, boom, national, international. Here we have Oprah. 
but she just started where she was. Mm-hmm. When we take care of the garden that we're given, the garden flourishes, the world will come. That's incredible. I want to read one of the quotes out of your book, made a graphic of and have on my wall. And it says, so stop resisting your calling. Stop refusing your greatness. Stop dimming your light. Stop hiding your gifts. Stop fighting your purpose. Stop arguing for your smallness. Stop crawling in the mud. It's time to say yes to the real reason you were born. This is when you access magic and then life will give you the wings to fly. Wow, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's amazing. That's pretty good. So if you are as inspired by Coot as I am, he has two amazing books to read. The You Are the One is his first book, and then The Magic of Surrender. I've been listening to your podcast, Soul Talk, which is fantastic. And your social media platforms offer great inspiration every day with your stories and your quotes and I just am thrilled to death that you gave me some of your time today and you are walking the walk that you preach, that you share with the world by, by being present here with me today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Yeah. I look forward to another connection again. And I just thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Coot. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode offered you some tools and guidance and inspiration on your journey to recover your soul. If you'd like some support and encouragement with your soul recovery, book a coaching session with me. When you are ready for change, it's amazing what can be done in just a few sessions with some support. There's never any long-term commitment. This is your personal journey, and I'm just here to be a guide and assist you in connecting with your fullest and happiest self. Go to the website, recoveryoursoul.net, and there you can find out more about me, book your coaching or spiritual counseling session, subscribe to receive our email updates, listen to some of my music. I have some originals and I've had various bands over the years. You can also read the blog that includes stories and insights from the Recover Your Soul community. I want to thank you for supporting the production of this podcast. Every single donation makes such a big difference. And you can donate on the homepage of the website. Also, by following, subscribing, reviewing this podcast on your favorite platform, you're helping to spread the Recover Your Soul message. I hope that you'll follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and even join the private Facebook group and become part of our transformation community. Share who you are. Share where you're from. Share your story. Let's all connect. Until next time, namaste. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.